unfucking believable unbelievable unprecedented crazy unimaginable absurd adjective i just had one of my videos for the first time ever removed from youtube on the basis of hate speech because i a white person talked about the word yes the word no one has ever taken seriously as a pejorative the word that no one has ever been offended by being called which was what i was saying in my video that this is a preposterous thing to even suggest could be considered a pejorative because no white person has ever given a fuck about being called a crap. That video, which by the way, was paid for at the request of a black fan asking, what do I think of the word cracker? Which I was like, you guys got to come up with something better because none of us care. That video got taken down for hate speech. And meanwhile, the dozens and dozens of videos in which I have used every possible variant of the word n is still online. And I'm going to be bleeping both of these words in the YouTube version of this podcast because I know how easy it would be for this to just immediately get stricken. I know that it only happened because the word was in the title of the video. I don't know if somebody flagged it as hate speech. I don't know if YouTube auto bought, you know, found this. I don't know how this happened, but it happened pretty fucking quick. And I have said with a hard R many times, many times. You know why? Because I don't give a fuck. I'll say whatever the fuck I want. I said fuck in the first two seconds of this video. That means it's getting demonetized. You think I care about the fucking money? No. I care about saying what I want to say. And nobody can stop me from that. I don't care whose fucking feelings get hurt. I don't give a fuck about you or anyone else. I literally don't give a shit. The one time that I'm saying something so innocent that it could not have hurt anyone's feelings. Using a word no one's ever been offended by in the context of explaining the fact that no one's offended by it. And suggesting that better words be made up for insulting white people. First of all, how can I even hate speech myself? How does that fucking work? I am a cr- I'm a white guy! I'm as white as they come. My ethnicity is just white. It's not even like Italian or Greek 
or even British. It's just white. My fucking, my ancestries lead back to the first boats that came to America. I am as thoroughly American and white as you can possibly be. I am whiter than Wonder Bread. I am whiter than vanilla extract. I am definitely whiter than a pack of fucking saltines. I am a fucking cra- How can I hate speech myself? You're listening to Artso Fartso's Whirling Dervish Podcast, Episode 6. I'm getting fucking heated. I just had to take my shirt off. So, I went to see a movie tonight. I went to see Whisper of the Heart, which I'd never seen before. One of the few Ghibli films I hadn't seen. Excited to see it for the first time on a big screen, the way it's meant to be seen. As far as I'm concerned, I'm being taken back to 1994, I think, when this movie came out. You know, like, I haven't seen it yet. I All the other Ghibli films I've seen in theaters, I had already seen before, except for The Wind Rises. And that was dubbed. This is a subtitled, proper fucking release of a classic film widely regarded as one of the best. One of the best animated films, one of the most beloved, has an introduction from Rebecca Sugar, creator of Steven Universe, talking about how it's her favorite movie of all time. I am ready to be transported. I am ready to be emotionally affected. I am ready to cry at the sound of the song Take Me Home Country Roads because it features prominently in this film and I knew that going into it. I just recently moved back to Virginia after two years of living in the North where it is fucking cold and really not enjoying the North. Still had a good two years for other reasons, but the location, terrible. And since coming back to Virginia, it's been the happiest time in my life. I have never been happier than the month and a half that I've lived back in Virginia with my lovely fiance, who also loves it here. I took her here, took her back to my homeland. I took her home country roads. The song is about West Virginia, but you know, we're still on the Blue Ridge Mountains, goddammit. And this song also, it has a special place in my heart because it plays at the end of AMV Hell 3. The, uh, the techno remix version, which is fucking hilarious. And so... I'm ready to be moved to tears. And I was thinking, as soon as the movie started and they started playing the song for the first time, I was like, oh man, this, is, this song's going to make me cry somewhere in this movie. Or so I would have thought. Except, this fucking bitch, six chairs down to my right, giggles every single fucking time that she hears... Someone in the movie say the words country roads because they say it in English and every time they play the song. Every time. (laughs) Shut the fuck up and go home. Go kill yourself immediately. Get into a bath. Get a toaster. Plug it in. Push the handle down. Drop it in the bath and die. Please. For fuck's sake.
This fucking bitch giggled every single time. And meanwhile, this fat cunt in front of her is coughing through the whole fucking movie because she decided that when I'm sick is about the right time to go to the fucking theater. Now, look, I'm, I'm easily distracted and I also hate people. So going to a movie theater probably just isn't even a good idea for me in the first place, right? I should just invest in building a proper home theater, get some surround sound speakers, because they fuck everything up anyways at the theater. The lights are always on at the wrong times. Like halfway through this movie, some of the side lights just came on for some reason. They flipped the fucking main lights on before the credits started. This movie, the way that this movie ends... It ends with the main characters deciding to get married. And then it very quickly cuts to the credits, which resolves some of the leftover plot threads. Because it's, you know, an animated credit sequence. The movie is still going, and it's playing Take Me Home Country Roads. Before the song even starts, before the credits even start rolling, they flip the fucking lights on, and people just start leaving! Snickery bitch and her girlfriend... They just fucking leave before the cr- – they're talking about how one of them fell asleep through the movie. Oh, great. Why the fuck did you waste $30 on the two tickets? Yeah, this is a $15 movie, by the way, because it's a one-time showing that G-Kids is doing. Could you not have had any modicum of respect for that? No. And, of course, I should have seen it coming because we were going into the theater – and the, the mall is fucking packed. We're at the mall theater because it's the best one in town. But it's fucking packed. And we're just like, what are all these fucking teenagers doing here? What's going on? It's 7 o'clock on a Tuesday. And then we realize that some new Spider-Man's come out. So, like, every other fucking theater at the place is playing Spider-Man. And everybody's there wearing Spider-Man shit. I'm pretty sure it came out on Friday. But whatever. Everyone here is a fucking Spider-Man. Except for whoever already saw Spider-Man and was like, fuck it. I guess we'll watch the Ghibli movie, too. I guess. But here's what really fucking pisses me off. It's not even people being rude in the theater. It's... The the woman laughing at the song pissed me off because it, it ruined those scenes. Scenes where I thought I probably would have cried if I didn't hear somebody laughing. So, you know, when I am emperor, her throat will be slit. But it was really the sick woman coughing the whole time that... That spoke to a larger issue I have, which is the the entitlement of people to going to the movies, and it made me think back on the times that I've that I've heard babies crying in movie theaters, which is fucking insane to me. Insane. I was at a theater one time and this baby wouldn't stop crying. Crowded theater. Some hero threw his voice and said. Shut that baby up. And it's one of the best moments of my life. I laughed. I jeered. I clapped. I applauded. I stood up. I didn't actually do all that. But I felt great. And I've quoted it a million times. Because I can't understand why you would think it was okay to bring a baby to a movie theater. I really don't understand. And I've heard people respond to this with the most asinine, most insane thing I've ever heard, which is what? So if you have a baby, are you just supposed to not go to the movies? Yes! Yes, you're supposed to not go to the fucking movies! 
You can you can live like that. You don't have to go to the fucking movies. I only go like two times a year as it is, and I can skip them. If I have a fucking baby to take care of, first of all, your baby's not getting anything out of this movie. Your baby has no reason to watch the movie, no reason to be there. So if you really, really have to see this movie, get a fucking babysitter. If you can't afford a babysitter, you can't afford to go to the fucking movies. The movies are expensive. You don't need to spend that money. If you can't afford a fucking babysitter, it costs like $20 to hire a 15-year-old to watch a fucking kid for two hours while you go see a fucking movie. But more importantly, you don't need to go to the fucking movie. It's no big fucking deal. It's gonna come out on DVD. Watch it at home. I don't get this this need people have to be like out and about all the time. To be like to, to feel like you need to have a social life or else or else your life's not complete. Like, oh, if I'm not out, if I don't go to the fucking movies, if I don't go see the Avengers movie, am I even a human being? Yes. Just do something at home. Read a fucking book. God damn. You don't need to go see a fucking movie. Movies are almost all fucking bad, by the way. And if it's a good one, then fucking go there with the intention to appreciate it. Watch it attentively. Watch it with respect. Otherwise, why are you bothering to see a good movie? Go back to the fucking Spider-Man showing. Get the fuck out of the Ghibli theater, you fucking bitch. It got me thinking about the differences in the way people live. You know, there's people who live in the big city. And I really think that people who come from a dense environment where there's lots of people must just really not understand what life is like for people who don't live in places like that. And I'm kind of weirdly in the middle because I live in Virginia Beach, which has 450,000 people in it. It's like the 41st biggest city in America. It's not a small town, but it is very spread out. And there's a lot of people, but not many of them are really from here. It's mostly military. Uh, there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of moving around, a lot of moving and shaking around here. But you don't really find yourself surrounded by people. You don't really have to interact with people. And when you do, it's always pleasant. Because the weather is nice and people are good. People around here, you never heard the, the term southern hospitality. I really didn't understand what that meant until I lived in the north and then came back down to the south. And realized that when you go out to, to just get lunch, people are like, hey, how's it going? Oh yeah, I'll gladly fucking make you a cheeseburger. Here you go, dude. Have a nice day. And they're all fucking chipper and happy and smiling. You go to Boston and they're like, what can I get for you? Yes, please. Okay, thank you. Bye. Like, everybody's fucking cold. It sucks. Everything about Boston is terrible. If you live in Boston, I don't know why you do that. Stop. Stop doing that. Because you're just making things worse for the rest of us. Because you guys, you get together in these big groups and you formulate a lifestyle on the basis of the place that you live. And then because there's so many of you, you you compare in number to those of us who don't live in those places. And by all rights, you should be your own country. 
every single one of these cities really just deserves to completely break off and make its own rules and have its own shit going on that has nothing to do with people who don't live in that place. Because trying to make laws on the basis of the opinions of people who live in cities versus the opinions who live of people who live everywhere else, it's just going to cause conflict. And I think that's probably the biggest cause of a lot of the conflict in America is the fact that the people who live in these few really big cities, their needs are so different from people who live elsewhere. But the problem is that they they think that that's just the way it is. They think that if you can't go out and socialize three times a week, you're not living life. That if you can't go to the movies, you're like, how could you possibly say that just because I have a baby, I can't go to the movies? I need to be able to do these things. Like, I think that's how a lot of people think. Like, they think they have to do certain things or else they're not living life. And like, from where, where I'm from. From my mentality, I mean, granted, I'm in Virginia Beach, so obviously, you know, the, these inca- these problems I've encountered at movie theaters happen here, too. But, like, also, nobody's from here, so it's, except for me. I'm, like, the only person who's fucking raised in Virginia Beach. Most people here are from all over, so it's a melting pot. You get all kinds here. But what I observe about the South, and I was just in Oklahoma for a week, and this is, like, much more pronounced there, is this slowed-down pace of living, this much more individualized and family-driven type of living, where people don't really feel the need to socialize with a large number of people or to be constantly going out and doing things, because you have things. You have things to do because things are cheap, and easy to come by. Like, if you live in Boston, the cost of living is so fucking insanely high that you can't do anything. So if you don't have a lot of money, you feel like you're fucking just broke as shit and you can't do anything with your life. I have plenty of money and I felt that way living there. Like, I lived 30 minutes out of the heart of Boston. I probably made, like... 80 grand in the time I lived there and the cost of living was so fucking high I never felt like I could go into Boston and do things Uh, my rent was so fucking high and part of that's my fault because I wanted to live in a house because that's the way things are that's how I grew up I grew up in houses I never lived in an apartment because I never lived in a fucking city I lived in places where you could hang out at your house and have things to do in your house because your house is cheap. Your overhead is so cheap. Things are cheap. You know, like, you go to Boston, everything's a dollar, two dollars more than it is down here. Your rent is so high. The things you, you have to have to live are so expensive. And the only reason it's like that is because so many people are there. There's just so many people crammed into this space that the demand for everything is higher. Why are so many people rushing to be in the same place as each other? Well, there's more and more fashionable jobs there. Okay, so you can get a better job that pays more, 
but everything costs twice as much. So your standard of living is the same, except you live in the north where everything sucks. Or you could take that money and move to the south and get a blue collar job and live in a house that costs $400 a month and have everything be half the price and have just as much free time and just as much spending money and you don't live in the fucking north. And this is why... People who are from places like this look at people from the cities and they see them as, like, these entitled, petulant children. Because it's not good enough to them to make a certain amount of money or to 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 have a certain kind of job because they're not thinking about the big picture of how much the place they are living affects them. They're just thinking, like, I have to have this level and make this level in order to live. Yeah, in Boston, but you could just, you can go somewhere else. You don't need your things. You don't have to take everything. You don't have to buy a U-Haul. You don't have to spend $1,000. You don't have to do all that shit. Uh, you know, you don't even need a car. If you don't want, if you don't have shit, you know, if you don't have shit that you need to take with you, which if you're this broke, you don't. Scrounge together $35 and take a Greyhound to the south. Find a hostel to stay in until you can put together a place and then get a place. You know, you can, you can, you can get a job doing odd jobs or something. Like, there's a lot of opportunities for you to work your way up. There's lots of things you can do. They're just not the sexiest things or the best things but they're not that different like no two jobs are really that different like even my job you know i make wacky internet content for a living it's not like glamorous it's not that like i still have to work all fucking day every day you know i still have to do like bitch grunt work that nobody wants to do there's tons of boring downtime just like any other job you know i i if I had to work a non-creative job, it'd be like, well, all right, I guess I have to do this for a while until I can get back to a position where I can do something else, hopefully. But people people just convince themselves of what, like, what the world is and what is possible. Everybody's always saying, like, oh, you can say that because you've had this or that opportunity or you, know, you don't know what it's like for other people. Look, I know what it's like. For everybody, because it's the fucking same. And no, I'm not I'm not saying everybody has the same opportunities. I'm just saying that you're all living in the same world. The 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 things that you are capable of are the same. You can cut everything and run and build your way up from the ground. You can completely leave behind your presuppositions about who you are about the situation you're in and start over. And it might be difficult or it might even be irresponsible or you might be fucking other people over by doing it. But it is possible. It's a thing you can do. You just don't want to do that because it's scary. It's terrifying. It's not easy. It's ill-defined. And again, there might be people who you're going to disappoint or fuck over in doing so. Which are all 
completely understandable reasons. And I'm not going to begrudge you. I'm not begrudging anybody for taking the easy path. But I want some fucking acknowledgement. That, yeah, you can do things differently from the way you're doing it. It's possible. You could. It's just scary. It's a risk. It's not easy to do. But you could do it. Just like you could decide not to go to the movies when you're sick. You could say, hey, I don't have to do this to live my life. I can spare everyone else the sound of my coughing and the potential to catch my cold and just be a courteous human being and stay the fuck home. I don't know how I got so far out of my way on this rant. And I know this is going to piss a lot of people off because I'm not really being clear or stating like plans exactly for how you could go about any of these things. But I just really, I get so sick and tired of people talking about their limitations, their inability to, to, you know, to do something that is right in front of them, to do something that anybody could do, you just have to decide to do it. And it's not that I'm unsympathetic to people who have legitimate problems, but I think that there are way more people who are hiding behind the idea of those problems than there are people legitimately facing them. The average person, average, majority, should be able to do anything that they set their mind to. You are probably one of those people. So I don't want to hear about it. Oh, goddamn. This is a weird one. I fucking have too many topics I'm trying to hold inside of my brain over the course of, like, a day. And I'm just... I gotta just jump up and do it. Because I was thinking first, right after recording the last bit, as I was going to bed, I was thinking about the different reasons that people might not want to pick up and move. And it's it's weird for me. I have a very different perspective because I moved my entire life. And my both my parents did, too. They were people who never had one consistent home in both of their cases growing up because their parents were extremely poor and they kept uh, having to switch houses due to various conditions, you know, with um, the the family continuing to grow or, you know, needing to get different jobs in different towns, stuff like that, just constant need to move. And uh, for me growing up, it was... Not quite so much the the need to move constantly as a strange compulsion on the part of my parents to move constantly because it was something that they were used to. And it, it put me in the mind st- state of like, okay, you know, pick up and go. That's a, that's a thing you can do if you don't like the place you're in, if you don't like the situation you're in, change it immediately. Because what is the sense of just staying in a, a same situation? And I, I always tend to immediately assume that people think that money is the reason. Like, people don't have the money to change their situation. And really, it's difficult for me to to think of things that way just because I know of so many avenues that you can take where money is not an issue. It's just a matter of what are you willing to put up with 
for a certain amount of time. Like, I don't think a lot of people would accept that they could be homeless for a while, but you can do that. You can live that way, and it doesn't have to be a negative experience necessarily. Like, it might not have certain qualities that you might value in your everyday life, but it doesn't have to be a bad experience to not live the same way that you're used to living for a certain amount of time. You know, like, if you have to live in a car, if you have to live in a shelter, even if you have to be somebody who, you know, who asks for money on the side of the road, it doesn't have to be an all-bad experience, especially if you view it as a waypoint between various phases in your life. And, you know, I'm somebody who tends to think in, in those kind of terms. Like, I have... Even though right now I'm in the happiest situation I've ever been in, I've never viewed where I'm at as the end point of where I'm trying to go because I have visions of things that I want that are that I can't get to yet, you know? And so it's always had there's always been this feeling of like okay, I've I've come here because this is what I can do right now. This is what I can afford. This is what you know, makes sense with the the situation I'm in, but eventually I'm going to get myself into a position where this is not the situation anymore and I can change where I am again, you know? And it's the position that I'm in as a content creator is that it's very much I get out of it what I put into it. And I mean that's that's the situation I've crafted for myself because that's the life I want to live. I've spent a lot of time analyzing how you can live. How are the different ways that you can structure your life so that you will have these circumstances, so that it will be as much what I put in as what I get out as possible, so that I always have to hold myself accountable for everything, you know? I don't ever want to put myself in a situation where I am not in control of how well I do. I want to be in a situation where it's, you know, uh, not necessarily a one-to-one ratio, but where, like, the harder I work, the more benefit I see from that work. The smarter I work, the more uh, thought I put into what I'm doing and how profitable it can be, you know. And so I tend to look at things that way. And when it comes to, like, again, moving, it's like, sure, it can be really difficult if you don't have any money, if you don't have any, you know, means to cut and run from a situation you're not happy with. But again, there's there's no there's nothing really to fear other than th- not having things be exactly the way you're used to them being, you know? And I think a lot of people just just assume, and, and I know, I totally understand this, because this is how I felt. Like, let me back it up. Back when I was in high school, I really wanted to run away from home. Like, really badly, because of the fact that I didn't know how to talk to my parents. I didn't know how to communicate what I was feeling. Um, I hated going to school so much. I hated all the people. I hated the the classes i hated the entire experience i wanted to do anything other than go to school i was miserable all through high school i just wanted to do something else and you know my dream was to 
go off and just become an artist somehow. But I had no idea how, what to do, where you could, you know, like the idea of being a YouTuber was not a thing yet. So like, I didn't know how you could be an independent artist or how I could get published, how I could, you know, what the hell do I have to do? I have to make something worthwhile first. And I wasn't making anything worthwhile. And so I really wanted to just run away and try to like live off of the land, you know, like try to live in a forest or something and just feed off of animals and just, you know, be entirely by myself for a while so I could sort out my mind. And so I did a lot of research on homelessness, on living on the land, on, you know, how can you get around? How can you make life for yourself? And, you know, there are a lot a lot of safety nets in our society a lot of a lot of it just based on goodwill on the fact that there are a lot of people who don't want to see other people being in bad situations or being unable to take care of themselves they don't want to see people you know dying in the road and so like if it's just a matter of say travel right um hitchhiking not as hard as you would imagine um, I've watched this series called Thumbs Up, which is these these videos on, uh, I think, Vox or something like that, where uh, these two guys who had spent a lot of time hitchhiking in, like, the 80s, they do a, a video series about them trying to get from one side of the country to the other purely on, uh, you know, rides they didn't pay for. So either train hopping, which they did a lot of, or um, hitchhiking, and you know, no matter where you are, there are some people who will pick you up and will take you at least a certain distance, you know, towards your goal. And you can keep hitchhiking your way across and make some progress that way. You know, if you need a place to sleep, there are shelters, there are, you know, there are people who will let you couch surf, there are programs in place to help people who don't have a place. And again, it's it's not a, a permanent solution. It's not something that you would want to live your whole life that way. But like, if this is the, the alternative to continuing to be in a situation that isn't optimal for you, then it's it's worth taking. And I'm, I don't think this is the extreme to which most people who I'm kind of referring to or talking to really need to go. Like, I think that you know, when I talk about people being in not the best circumstances, I'm literally talking about situations like, you know, what what made me bring this up, having a baby and not being able to go to the movies. You know, it's like you can just not go to the movies. You can just not live with a roof over your head for a while. You can do this or that. You can – you don't need to have the exact – lifestyle that you are used to in order to be happy because happiness is entirely constructed within yourself within your own parameters within your own idea of what you need out of your life i mean you can just think about like the existence of like buddhist monks these are people who dedicate their lives to living with as little as possible and achieving a zen state of mind and you know not feeling a desire or a need for anything. And, like, you can be one of those people. And, like, 
so obviously you don't want to. Obviously most people don't want to. Most people don't really have the capacity within them to live that kind of life. But it is a decision you could make. And so for me to look at other people and, and hear the way that people you know sort of complain about their lives, I have to think, okay, well – how much of that is you just not living up to the standard you've set for yourself that you've decided is what you need to be happy that has nothing to do with what is actually required to be happy? And if you are unhappy because your life's not meeting this certain set of circumstances, should you not change the way you think about what you need or what you want in order to better reflect what is you know, what is possible for you? Like, just be happy in the circumstances you're in. I'm not saying that you should, you know, leave yourself in those circumstances. And if those circumstances can't make you happy, you need to change them. But just to to sort of wallow in it, to be like, oh, I can't be happy because my life's not good enough. And there's nothing I can do to, you know, to make the things happen that I need to happen in order for me to be happy Therefore, I'm just going to be miserable. Uh, that mindset is not going to get you anywhere. Nothing about the world is going to change to make you happy and give you the things that you think you need to be happy. Because the world is is it's structured around what we can do for as many people as possible. And your very specific set of circumstances and expectations are not accounted for in that unless they are shared by as many people as humanly possible and you know there's a lot of people who are going to say hey you know we have to stop somewhere at what we are willing to just give to other people on the basis that they think they need it everything always fucking breaks everything fucking breaks i have an actual curse i have it i have a real life curse for real there is no disputing this. I have had two different people who are close friends, who are both extremely intelligent tech experts, who have told me that I have an unexplainable curse that affects technology. Because more tech manages to break in new and unheard of ways in my presence than seems to happen to any normal person. It seems as though computers will just develop new errors when I'm around. Internet will go out for no reason all the time when it shouldn't. But it'll only happen to me. It'll be fine everywhere else in the house sometimes and only mine will be fucked up. And I didn't do anything. I don't have to do anything. My technology is always fucking breaking. And... It's legitimately set me back. Like, I want to progress in what I have. Like, I ha I, I, I'm a creator. I need to have certain tools to enhance my creations. I want to buy proper lighting. My lighting always sucks. But the money that would go towards the lighting has to go towards breaking my fifth laptop or the the computer that we have that for some reason just has uh, has eaten itself 
I don't know a better way to describe it, and I don't know what the problems are, and I don't know how to figure out what the problems are, because I even give it to tech experts, and they're like, well, shit, this is a brand new problem. I can't, nowhere on Google is the answer to this problem. No one's ever heard of having an issue like this. I can't ever get a live stream off the ground without something breaking or fucking up. How do people do that professionally? How is it that people can manage to run a live stream every single day and nothing fuck up? Are they just using better equipment? Do they have somebody come in and optimize everything? Like, how the fuck do, like, the e-thoughts manage to keep their fucking streams up every week and I have no fucking idea how to do that? How can I break all my shit every single time? Remember back when Tom and I were doing I Am Games? We would fuck up Every stream. Tom is one of those tech experts. He does wizard shit with computers. He does shit I didn't know you could do. And still, neither of us could figure out why the fuck the stream was fucked up every time. I'm fucking cursed. I am a curse on technology. I've had a bunch of shit I've wanted to rant about over the last few days. But I haven't had the energy. I haven't had the fury. I haven't had that feeling of like, I, I gotta fucking, I gotta whirl, I gotta dervish. I, all I've been doing is working. May and I have been working nonstop for like eight days, and it's been great, honestly. We both just, we all just like to work. A sense of accomplishment of getting things done and making money. Rolling nickels is, uh, it's great. Get things done. You, you don't have time to feel like shit when you're getting things done all the time. You're just like, yeah, making progress, making money, uh, you know, securing my future. But I, I do got to rant about this one thing just because it's the only one that's continually been on my mind. Uh, a lot of the time I get an idea, I forget about it, I don't give a shit. This one, though, I wanted to talk about the fact that I'm really glad that I'm doing podcasts like this and generally revealing sort of my true self to the forefront of my identity, which is the Digibro channel. It, it always kind of has been, even though... It's never been the place where I post the most content, never I post the, you know, truest to myself content, but there was definitely an element of fear of sort of revealing my whole hand on this channel. Um, you know, it's not that I was trying to keep my image clean, because I definitely did not do that. My image has never been clean anywhere, but it's more like... I don't want to needlessly confront you with it, with, with my true self, if it's, if it's irrelevant. Like, the Digibro channel has always primarily been a media analysis channel. You don't need to know my political beliefs. You don't need to know anything about my personality or my personal life in order to enjoy media analysis. And in fact, those things might turn you off from the content. However, my approach to media analysis has always been gonzo journalism. I talk a lot about myself, my personal relationship with the media, the way that I specifically feel on the basis of experiences I've had throughout my life. And so, there's this odd disconnect where, yes, I'm being gonzo in a sense, but it's also sanitized in a sense because I'm not willing to use 
the language that I actually use in my everyday life and in my edgier content. I'm not willing to talk about certain aspects of what I think or how I feel that I am in other contexts. And so you get this sense that you really know me. You get this sense of closeness of like, oh, I... I understand Digibro really well because he talks about himself so openly in his videos, except you're only getting half the truth there. And the other half of the truth is over here in this dark corner where there's all this extra shit. And frankly, it takes a lot to keep up with everything I do. Like, I don't expect even a lot of my hardcore fans to actually consume all of my content, when there's so fucking much of it spread across so many different channels, so many different vehicles. And, like, if you really want the truest Digibro emotions, you gotta go listen to the music, and who the fuck wants to do that? You know, like, that's where I talk about the real shit, that's where I talk about how I am actually feeling, and I'm, I'm a deceitful person in the way that I communicate my feelings, because I won't tell people when I have a problem with them. I won't be harsh, I won't be you know, aggressive, unless it's like a public figure who I have a bone to pick in a very open way, because it's safe to do that. If somebody cast the first stone at me, or, you know, if I perceive them as somebody who's, who's, uh, you know, got a presence that affects the way people think, it's easy to justify coming after those people. Um, but like, you know, I'm not going to just always be, um, that kind of aggressive. Like, I try to be kind of, I try to be kind of nice and keep the peace for a lot of the time, and that's not necessarily true to how I'm feeling, you know? Like, I, I kind of am I'm much more of an asshole to everybody inside of my own mind. I mean, maybe we all are. Maybe it's not, like, you know, so much dishonest to be like, oh, yeah, I think shitty things about people and I don't say it because we all do that. But, like, I just feel as though I don't like the fact that people have been able to follow me for a long time and feel this strong sense of kinship with me without really knowing me or knowing the truth. Like, I feel... I see sometimes, like, where I see commenters who have been fans, like, since the Digibrony era, and, like, now they're kind of turned off to the way that I'm doing things, and, like, they see it as, like, oh, he's changed. And it's like, well, I haven't really changed. I've just kind of been more forward with my feelings. Like, I'm getting older. I don't feel like putting on airs. I don't feel like putting on a show for people. Like, and I think that for a long time, I just believed that... I mean, this is kind of the, the, the foundation of my whole career, was this belief that people weren't going to take me for who I was. Because back in the day, back when I was a blogger, um, I never fit in anywhere on the internet. You know, people would shit on me in all the communities I was in. I was never, like, a popular figure. I was never well-respected. I was never somebody who, like, you know, people gravitated towards because of the fact that I was so venomous and so aggressive and so you know, um, about myself. And, like, granted, all of that is because I was immature as shit and I was venomous for no reason and I was just, like, an obnoxious asshole. And, like, I think that by deliberately toning all that down and, like, trying to correct my image to make it more presentable, to make myself seem, like, reasonable, I learned how to be reasonable, how to not be the same person that I was, and to kind of change as a person, but, like, at the same time, sometimes I think I'm just being way too reasonable and I don't need to be. Like, 
a lot of the people who I respect and admire are not reasonable all the time. They're not always trying to be like super squeaky clean and not offend everybody or to to represent every side of the argument or to try to give a nuanced, even-handed approach. Like, no, they're just fucking saying their opinions and being like, this is how I feel. And if you don't understand, too fucking bad. You know, I'm not going to explain myself. I'm not going to go into detail because... I don't need to. There are other people who feel the same way as me who are going to respect me and want to listen to me, and I don't need the people who are going to turn away from that. And it's funny that, like, I've seen other people live that way for so long, but just because of my own past and my own experiences, I can't, like, imagine that for myself. I was never able to imagine that I would be accepted for being full bore myself, you know? So, like, the After Dark channel was already a kind of way to push some of that off the main channel and, like, be like, hey, I'm going to express this side of myself and we'll see how it goes. Um, and then, like, even then, if things were, like, too ridiculous for that channel, like, if I didn't want any of my audience to know about it, I'd put it on it even further away on the Modal Soul channel, my old one, you know? And, like, gradually I started moving all that content to After Dark, and now I'm kind of moving the After Dark content to here because it's just, like, I don't want to have those people who are, who don't accept me for exactly the way I actually am. And, like, if that means losing subscribers, if that means changing my audience, I'm okay with that because I don't want to have a giant audience of people who don't understand me or who are, you know, who 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 don't really accept me for who I actually am, but just for the sanitized version of myself that's over there, you know? So that's why it's like, it's gratifying to do something that is so hard-nosed and so true to my emotions and to have people tell me like oh my god this is the show I've been waiting for like this is prime digibro content because those are the people who really were accepting me for who I was those are the people who actually think like me who actually want to hear someone being completely honest about feeling this way feeling a way that it's not necessarily seen as okay to feel but a lot of people feel it and they will be able to accept themselves if there's somebody else who is unabashedly stating that they feel that way and that they're not going to apologize for it and that they're not going to change themselves because other people think they're wrong when, you know, there's no, not until there's logical evidence provided, you know, not until somebody, um, you know, makes me feel like I shouldn't be this way. You know, it's not like, I, I know I've repeated myself several times throughout this podcast that like, it's not that I'm unwilling to change my mind. It's not that I've, like, dug my heels in and I'm not moving. It's that I am not going to change the way I think because enough people said it's the wrong way to think. I'll change when I feel different, you know? But, like, when people say to you, oh, like, the way you act, um, you know, is is a problem, then you have to say, like, well... The way you act is a problem to me. So how do we reconcile this disagreement, you know? Anyway, that's enough about that. I just wanted to get that off of my chest. The the great feeling I have as I, I watch people who used to be fans tell me that they're like, Wow, I, I didn't realize you were such a fucking edgelord asshole. And I'm like, I'm sorry. 
I'm sorry I didn't reveal that earlier. I'm sorry it took this long for you to find out. But we're putting all the cards on the table. This is the way it is. No, I'm not going to wait for my printer to shut up before I do the last part of the Whirling Dervish, alright? I finally have May with me to the Pantsu Party. The Tarred Wrangler is here. She has not been listening to most of this because I've just been fucking going off the handle. Uh, but do you want to contribute anything to this before it's over? I can't believe you have the printer running. You fool. <laughs> so I've, I have keep thinking of things I want to rant about, but then it's, it's difficult. Because now that I'm doing all my fucking shit on the main channel, some of these are like, that would be a good idea for a video in itself. Or I want to think this through more and make it really good. I'm, I'm proud of this podcast. I don't want to just record every random fucking thing that comes to mind. But now I got people like, when's the next Whirling Dervish? Ah! Whirling Dervish doesn't come out in two weeks. Is that still happening? I'm like, guys, you don't gotta... I know I cancel things all the time, but I just need time for it to be good. There needs to be enough to say, well, let me tell you, I'll give you one. I'll give you this one, even though this should be another video in and of itself, and maybe it will be once I've thought it through a little bit more. But I want to talk about how I think Fifty Shades of Grey may have been the most emblematic work of our culture. That has existed, possibly ever, but certainly now. And it's because Fifty Shades of Grey is one of the worst written books to ever be popular. I mean, it's really fucking bad. I, I don't know if you've ever read any of it, but like the prose, the writing is unfucking believably bad. And I only know that because I read a little bit of it on the pub crawl once when they were kind of, it was like a, you know, a, a meme going around that people read bits of Fifty Shades of Grey. And I was just like, oh my God, this writing is so fucking bad. It's, I mean, it is originally a fanfic and you could fucking tell, like, it's not like it was a good fanfic. It's not like it was based on like, you know, one of those fanfics that people are like, oh, this is actually a really good story. No, it's fucking terrible. And as I was reading it, I couldn't believe that it was so popular while being so bad. And that was kind of when I started to realize that almost nobody really has any conception of, like, good writing or of just quality in general. Nobody's looking for that except for the hardcore fans of the medium. They're the only people who care. And, like... Yeah, most people don't even read books. Most people do not give a shit about books. Most people don't give a shit about movies. Most people don't sh give a shit about anything, really. Video games, you name it. Like, 99% of those mediums are not being consumed by almost anybody. I would say probably, like, 10% of the people consuming any medium are responsible for consuming 90% of what is in that medium. It's only the most popular stuff that ever reaches most people. They do not develop critical sense. They do not develop taste. And that's fine. It, it really doesn't fucking matter. But it's a different world. And we shouldn't even really associate it back with the, the works that we care about. Like, you have to recognize that people only like something when the marketing works. And the marketing works when you create something that is just edgy enough to make people feel like they're going to, you know, 
like they're going to be doing something edgy themselves by consuming it, but safe enough that everybody's willing to consume it. Fifty Shades of Grey is about BDSM. It is very milk toast, very basic bitch, introductory BDSM, which everyone on some level is into. I think most girls like getting choked. I think most guys like to slap an ass here and there. Like, pain play is a regular part of sex for most people. And if it's not, they're certainly curious about it. And then there's just the fact that it's about sex at all. And sex is the most universal category of media. I mean, there is so much more porn produced than any other type of media. And I don't just mean, like, you know, quick and dirty, handheld film porn. Like, when I go on X Hentai, there's like 20 new things every fucking day. That's just illustrated comics from Japan. Full comics, full issues of comics coming out constantly because there's such a huge fucking market for porn. And because there's no centralized force in porn the way there is in other media, it's probably the only, like, true blue, like, wild west of cultural creation where, like, people are seeking out stuff that appeals to them specifically. Like, everybody's a connoisseur of porn on some level. There, I mean, there's still, you know, porn that reaches more people. Like, you know, Oni Chichi gets more views than the other hentai anime out there. But, like... Way more people have way more developed tastes in porn than they do in regular media. But Fifty Shades of Grey managed to crack through because it's a book. And we live in this weird situation right now where because nobody really reads anymore, books are just kind of seen as like classy or like... They're just ex just inherently acceptable because, like, it's a non-visual medium. We're used to constant visual stimuli. We're used to seeing sexualization at all times. So if you just strip the visuals out of it, no matter how dirty what's being described is, it comes off as comparably restrained because we're just not seeing it. And this is the way people think. If you think that I'm being ridiculous, you don't understand the way people are. Like, regular people. Not people like us. Not media-curated minds that, you know, that look beyond things. No, 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 no. You're thinking way too far ahead of the average person. I was just at a bookstore today, and they're publishing the light novel about the girl who becomes a sex worker in another world. It's not even shrink-wrapped. I'm flipping through it. It describes her fucking guys, like, in intimate detail. It's describing... BDSM scenarios, sucking cock and taking it, and, like, that's not even shrink-wrapped because it's a book. Nobody shrink-wraps Fifty Shades of Grey, but as soon as you have it in a manga where there's an image, it has to be shrink-wrapped because you can flip through it and see a tit. You see? But, like, you can also just flip through Fifty Shades and read about a tit, but it's not the same. People don't respond to it the same way, so it's safe. People who think they're above porn will read Fifty Shades of Grey because it's a book. Because books are classy. But none of these fucking people have ever read a book. They don't know what a good book is. They just know it is a book. 
and it's titillating because it's about sex and everybody wants to consume sex, but most people, well, not most people, but a lot of people just think they're above it, especially a lot of women. They just don't want to be seen as somebody who consumes porn, so they don't. They insist that it's gross even though they fuck. So I don't understand where the mental disconnect comes in there, but it happens. These women are willing to read this book because it's a book, but the book is fucking terrible. And that is exactly what our culture is. It's people getting interested in something because on some very broad, very primal level, it draws them in. But it can't be too edgy for them. It can't be too hard for them to understand. It can't be not obvious what the point is. It has to be like in your face. This is what the thing's about. This is the appeal of it. And you can go watch this and everybody else is going to watch it. And you're all going to understand it. And you're all going to have a good time. But it's not good. This is the case with the modern light novel. You see, light novels began as a niche thing. I think the point of them was to appeal to, you know, young intellectuals who are into anime and shit, but, like, are looking for something better, are looking for something a little bit more, like, high-minded and metatextual that goes beyond the surface level of what they're seeing in the media and that connects all these different mediums, that connects the video games, the anime, to other broader ideas, to, you know, to more classical literature. A lot of the bigger light novel authors, you know, the, the originals like Nisio Isin or Kohei Kodono, they don't cite light novels as their influence. They're influenced by... Osamu Desai or something, you know, like a classical Japanese author. But when you read something like, this is all coming because I'm fucking reading Ari Fureta. It's the worst goddamn book I've ever fucking read. The prose is just awful. Fucking awful. Paragraph for paragraph, line for line. It is fucking embarrassing. It is cringeworthy. It's really fucking bad. I am like astonished that... There wasn't an editor saying to change some of these fucking things, but you don't need it. When Fifty Shades of Grey was published, because I was when I read that, I was like, how the fuck did an editor let this slide? I mean, there's like grammar errors in that book. And apparently the editor had said, well, the book was already popular online, so I just didn't change it. I just didn't change anything. It's the highest selling book of all time. Next to, like, the Bible and Harry Potter. It didn't matter. You didn't have to change it. Because who the fuck's going to notice? Because it's not made for people who read books. It's made for people who want to experience a story about BDSM from the safe comfort of a non-visual medium. Which is a much larger category of people than people who read books. Ari Fureta is for people who want to ogle sexy girls who are drawn on the pages without watching porn. They want to read something about going to another world 
And this is the easiest vehicle by which to deliver that. I mean, the appeal of Isekai is very obvious. It's something that anybody could relate to, especially when you put sexy girls in it. Like, the sexy girls are the marketing. That is how you draw people in. You put a sexy girl on it, and if the girl is sexy enough, people will give it a shot. And Ari Fureta has great art. The, the girls are really fucking hot. And if you flip through it, you see a lot of this girl completely naked. That would have made me... Like, if it weren't for the fact that I know light novels are bad, I would have bought it the first time I saw it. Like, when I read it, when I first saw it in stores, I thought, wow, that girl's really cute. The art looks really good. I flip through it, I see a bunch of nudity. Like, if I could rewind time to before this... Before I looked at light novels and shuddered and cried... I would have bought it. But that's the hook. It's the sex that sells. And I know this because 100% of the time, if my videos have any kind of sexuality in the title or thumbnail, they perform way better. They also usually get demonetized. Go look at my rants. Go look at the, the rants on the After Dark channel. Literally all of the ones with the most views that aren't about like a hot button topic are the ones that have something to do with sex. Some kind of sexual title or thumbnail always performs better. So if you put a sexy girl on the cover of a book, people are going to open it because the girl is sexy. And then they go, oh, it's about a guy getting transported to another world and having to fight against society. I relate to that. So this book is great. It doesn't matter that the writing is fucking terrible because nobody who reads these is somebody who reads books. They read light novels because they have sexy girls on them. They don't give a fuck about books. And this is so fucking obvious because Ari Fureta is considered a good light novel. The first volume. As I started talking about the anime... I've really tried, because of the fact that I wanted these videos to be very popular and I didn't want to be talking out of my ass, I tried to make sure that I was presenting it that the anime is bad. I don't know anything about the light novels. I'm not going to speak about them. I'm not going to blame the author. That was something I, you know, I regretted a little bit back in my SAO videos, like going in so hard on Reki Kawahara specifically when I hadn't read the books, because I couldn't prove that it's Reki Kawahara. I know it is, but I can't, uh, you know, I can't speak with confidence about his actual shortcomings as a writer. And I'll tell you, I've read like 50 pages of SAO Progressive Volume 1. That has better writing. Um, I would even say, I don't know if by a long shot, but it definitely has better writing than Ari Fureta so far. Um, Ari Fureta is absolute dog shit. And if you had ever read a fucking book, you would know that. Ever. I've read, okay, I, I've read books that book nerds clown on that clown on this book. Like, I would rather read Dan Brown. Like, I've read The Da Vinci Code. Not an amazing book, but it's competently written. It has pacing and, like, a sense of thrill. You, you, you get enraptured in it. You feel the need to progress from page to page. This book is torturous to read. Every paragraph is so fucking boring. 
The prose is awful. He gets onto these tangents about nothing, distracted by random details. There's almost no dialogue. The story is mostly just the author just describing his idea for a story to you. It doesn't feel like I'm reading a book. It feels like I'm reading a guy telling me what his book is about. Like, telling me what happens, not displaying it happening, just telling me what happens in his story. It is fucking awful. Read any book that's been published professionally and had to stand on its own without sexy girls on the cover. I dare you. I double dare you, motherfucker. Read a book. And you will know. This book is fucking terrible. And I know that if you are saying, oh, Ari Ferreta is a pretty good light novel, you've only read light novels. Like, and you haven't even read good ones. Because if you'd read Boogie Pop, or if you'd read a Nisioisin book, or if you'd read, like, I don't know, All You Need Is Kill, or, like, uh, fucking, what's the one by Maijo Otaro, Asura Girl or something, Log Horizon is at least, like, Log Horizon doesn't have amazing prose. It's not, like, extremely well-written, but, like, it's fucking competent. It's, it, it does more, well, I won't say it does more than just tell you what the story is, because it is kind of like that, too. But at least it doesn't get diverted by the most inane details and the most insufferable character writing I've ever read. Ari Ferreta is the absolute bottom of the barrel. It is the worst writing that I have tried to put myself through and now I'm determined because I fucking paid for this book and I want to read it for the sake of my fucking videos. And like, I, I, I'm, I could go through line by line and break down every single line. I could honestly do that. And I might don't tempt me. I could go through this thing paragraph for fucking paragraph and describe why every sentence is bad because it is so obtusely Awful. Obtusely? That's an odd word choice. Maybe I'm not the best writer either. We're going to find out. Because reading this made me feel like I have to publish a light novel. I have to do it because I have to put my money where my mouth is. And I'm not the best. I haven't done it. I mean, I've written... I wrote a light novel in like a day, as you may all know. A lot of people love that story because a lot of parts of it are hilarious. But it's mostly just a bunch of short stories. It's just a bunch of little flash fictions strung together into a book, and large swaths of it are, like, borderline written podcasts or me reading things I've written before. So I don't really count that as a light novel. And, of course, a lot of you know about Tales from the End of the World, a light novel which I wrote back in 2010. I did an audiobook for it that I only ever released on my subreddit. Uh, because it was incomplete, it was, I wrote it for NaNoWriMo, broke the 50,000 word count, and then stopped, but there were gaps in it that I hadn't completed, and also it's pretty cringy. Um, I think the writing in it is better than Ari Ferreta, and that's not saying much, but I do think it's better, because Ari Ferreta's fucking terrible. But I gotta write a proper light novel... And I'm not saying it's going to be great, but I think I can do better than this fucking book. And if I, if I can't, then I will, I'll eat it. I'll eat 
Ari Ferreta if if no one thinks that my book is better than it. I think a lot of people will think so. I'm sure some people won't, especially because, you know, regardless of what we call overall quote-unquote writing quality, remember, that doesn't matter to the people who like this book. Uh, what matters is what happens in the book and whether or not they relate to it, which is completely inconsequential to me. And I think most media consumers, like, I think most people who take art seriously at all don't give a fuck what happens in a book unless it's really unique. You care about how it's executed. You care about how did they portray the events that happen. What is the meaning that is conveyed through the way that they describe the events that happen? What does it make me feel? Not just, like, a guy describing in the most basic, blunt terms that a character goes to another world and things happen to him. It's a fucking embarrassment of a book. And if you think it's good, read another book. I'll give you a few suggestions. My favorite book is House of Leaves. It is long. And it's difficult in the sense that you have to move the book around to read it. But it's not its not difficult to parse. It's written in pretty plain language. But I think that it's enough that it would dramatically expand your perspective on what even is a book capable of being to such an extreme that if you were to look at it next to a light novel such as this, you would think, I can't believe that people can have this large of a gap in talent as writers. Like, I didn't know that human beings could be this much more powerful than one another <laughs> in, in a, in a art form. Um, fuck, if you just want some popcorn reading, just read a Yahtzee book. Yahtzee Croshaw, the, the, the video game reviewer. Read Mogworld. That one's about um, an MMO. It's about a sentient... NPC in an MMO. It's funny. It's witty. It's quick, easy, good. No, if, if you're looking for something that's just like popcorn entertainment, go read that. It's a fuck of a lot better than Adi Fureta. It's a fuck of a lot better. A fuck of a lot. I'd probably give Mogworld like a 7 out of 10. I'd give Adi Fureta a flat 1. It's fucking terrible. Read a book. For God's sake. Anyway, that's it for this whirling dervish. Um, I have some other things I'm going to rant about, but are probably going to be in their own videos. Some stuff just, some stuff is just too important to lock at the end of an hour-long podcast. So, you know, uh, check out everything. Uh, this show's on Spotify. It's on other places. Links in the description. Uh, get fucked and fuck me.